Hey friends, this summer we wanted to do something really special and give you a behind the scenes look at some of our classic episodes. But before we do that, we have a quick announcement. We're planning a conference called Gather that will be this September 15th and 16th in Provo, Utah. And the event is being put on by a coalition of people that exist in the LGBTQIR Saints space. Yeah, it's going to be Christ-centered and church positive, and it will also be really expansive, including people on a variety of paths. So some of the speakers we have planned are Steve Young, Tom Christopherson, Liv Mendoza-Haynes, Megan Decker, Jesse Wilson, Michael Soto, Allison Dayton, Ben Shalati, what? and Charlie Bird. <laughs> it's going to be great. And you can get more details at gather-conference.com and come and gather with us this September. And hope you enjoy these classic episodes. All right. Today we're talking about episode 37 of season one called Is There a Place for Me in the Church with McKay Bryson. This was our like watershed episode. I think so too. This was kind of like... I feel like this was a hinge point in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, like listening to the other episodes and kind of reviewing them, I think we've done really good work. But it, this is the first time that I think we captured a larger audience than the people who just are regular listeners. Mm-hmm. I think it grew the podcast and grew a lot of empathy for LGBTQ members of the church. It was really, really raw mm-hmm. and really, really special. I mean, you cry in it. I cry in it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I was like, gosh, I guess I'm passionate about this. <laughs> Best moment. Um, but re-listening to it, I was, like, in my memory, we, like, I had that conversation with my friend Heidi, and then we came home and recorded it that night. Like, that's how I remember it happening. But it was, it was, it was the next day. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised that my memory was so faulty, honestly. Yeah. Um, but uh, this really grew out of, like, you know, you and I were roommates at the time, which was so long ago. Yeah, that feels like a different world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you you just started your master's program. And we were just having this conversation. I was upset. And then we all kind of got upset. And they're like, let's just talk about this right now. And we just came in here and recorded. Well, one thing I was surprised by almost was how bold we were with our statements. And, you know, at the beginning of the episode, I kind of say, I always feel like I have to package things so in such a pretty way in order to be heard. And that if the minute people start feeling uncomfortable when I speak, they'll shut down, mm-hmm. which is true. And that's something that we always are up against as we're trying to educate. You really have to like meet people where they're at. Um, and also I was just like, wow, like I was sharing what I actually think in this episode mm-hmm. and it was real. And I said things that, Probably today I would be like, "Ooh, am I allowed to say that?" Mm-hmm. But I guess I am because I've already said it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's a deer again. You were just talking about. I that. know. We were just talking about how in one of the episodes there was a deer outside the window, and now it's back. And it's probably a different deer. There's like 30 deer in my neighborhood. <laughs> it's just staring right at me. Take a picture of it so we can show. Okay, I'll take a picture so we can. Oh, it ran away. I'll take a picture of where it was. <laughs> anyway. um... Oh, back uh, to the episode. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of want to share like something that came out of this episode. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about episode 37 a lot. And it's kind of funny. People were like, on Spotify, they're not numbered the same. So we don't know what you're talking about. But, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, but one of my good friends, her name is Sarah Coyne. She works at BYU. And she called me after listening to the episode and told me her experience. And so she was listening to the episode while she was driving to work and like felt like, I really want to do a study on LGBTQ Larry Saints and, and belonging. That she, study came from this episode? Yeah. And, and, wow. and she was like, you know what? That's not my place. 
that's not my place. And then she worked all day. And then on her drive home, she finished the episode. And I said, whatever you, whatever you feel prompted to do, do that thing. Wow. And she called me. She said, Ben, I think I need to do this. And so it, she did this big study where, where over 100 LGBTQ saints from a variety of backgrounds were interviewed. And then quotes from that from that study are going to be used to inspire artwork people are making for an art show at the gather conference. That's incredible. Yeah. So that what all came a full from circle that. moment. I know. I didn't realize that all of that came from this episode. Yeah. And you know, listening to it, it was hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. It is hard to listen to because it's such a raw place. And I don't think I always let myself get there because it's really painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet those feelings are always inside of me. And it was, I, I had a couple thoughts. One is, it's interesting that I still feel so congruent with what I said back then. Mm-hmm. Like I feel the exact same way. And if I could get to that vulnerable place, I think we'd record a very similar episode, mm-hmm. even though both of us have grown a lot and had different experiences. Yeah. Um, Life has really changed a lot since we recorded originally. Yeah. And also with that, it made me, I hope I can say this in a way that isn't taken the wrong way, but it just made me really proud that I'm sticking around. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me proud of the way that I've really tried to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and exercise my faith within like, like the doctrine of Jesus Christ and within scripture, because I feel like that has really grounded me um, because a lot of the stuff we shared was really difficult. Um, you know, cultural church norms and Mm -hmm. church policy things that, that just are just still like, like I can't eat, I just can't even with them, you know? Um, but I was like, wow, I'm, I'm still here and I'm here because there's so much value in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so glad that over the past three years or whatever, since we recorded that, I still see that value mm-hmm. because it is valuable to me. Yeah. I love that. You know, um, I've actually listened to this episode a number of times, so like cheer myself up. I know it's heavy, but it kind of like cheers me up. Really? Yeah. Oh, it, and, it like flattens me. No, <laughs> to, to, to me, honestly, I like, cause I feel the spirit in it as we talk. Yeah. And this is one of those conversations I feel like was really sacred and, and really powerful. And there was one time, this was a while ago, but I was having a bad day and I re listened to the episode. And then towards the end, you're like, Ben, we're doing this together. Like I'm with you. My sisters are with you. Like, like we're all doing this together. And I just like felt like I'm not alone. I can move forward. Like this will be okay. And it was really beautiful to get inspiration, like from my own, like hearing the words that I need to hear from me. From you. That is really cool. And from you as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing it inspired, I think, is my second book, Expanding the Borders of Zion. Because as I was listening to it, I think it has a very similar tone to the book. And I said something. I said, like, you know, it, it's weird because there's this, we're saying, like, is there a place for me in the church? No, not really, unless people scoot over and help us carve it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I didn't realize that, like, that thought started there. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the big principles in my book, that, like, yeah. there can be a space if if we make it. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, I hope people enjoy the episode. Yeah, it's a good one. Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Ben Shalati. And I'm Charlie Bird. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We are not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is, is there a place for me in the church? 
Ben and I are not terribly diverse, and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both fit into a size large shirt. But, like, not at the same time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> However, there are some pretty big differences. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Ben. <laughs> I think it should be we both wear a size large shirt. We both wear a size large shirt. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. However, there... Okay, however, there are some pretty big differences. For example, I usually wear a button-down shirt, and Charlie usually wears like a t-shirt or like a Nike shirt. Yeah, Ben's always at work, and I'm always at cheer practice. But if I'm not working, I just wear t-shirts. Also, one time, when I was going to tap class that first time, I was trying to figure out what to wear, and I was going to wear a pair of like basketball shorts. Oh my shorts. gosh, y'all should have seen what this man was trying to wear to tap class. <laughs> I'm like, what I am like, I supposed to wear to tap class? And ben, you guys are like, ben, leotards. I'm like, I don't have leotards. <laughs> well, not leotards, just not like basketball shorts with like dressy tap shoes and no socks it was awful and you were like where are my joggers so i put on your joggers and they did not fit they, they did were not fit they were way too our waists are not the same size no, they were they were tight they were way too tight tight pants of the tap class <laughs> so i wore shorts well anyway <laughs> we'd like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives so today we're joined by mckay bryson hi uh yeah i'm mckay bryson i'm from bountiful utah about two minutes below the temple and I currently go to BYU. I'm graduating soon. I'm studying information systems. Great. Well, we're here to talk about, you know, if we have a place in the church or what is our place in the church. So we're having this conversation today because yesterday I finished watching the show Love, Victor with my friend Heidi. And Love, Victor is about uh, a gay kid in high school coming to terms with his orientation and, and wondering if he should come out and, and coming out. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful show. Not the best written, but it's, it's good. It's lovely. And so afterwards, Heidi asked me what some of my deep thoughts were. And it was 11 o'clock. I was like, I have to go. Let's talk about this later. So I, got to, I walked out to my car. And then I was like, no, I, I want to talk about this now. So I went back in, rang Heidi's doorbell, and she let me back in, and I shared some of my thoughts. And, and one of the things I said was that this was a lovely story, but this could not happen in the, in the Latter-day Saint world. Like, this kid was trying to figure out if he was gay or not, but if he were a Latter-day Saint, most likely he would think, okay, if I am this, I need to change this. And he was worried about how his family would react, but if you were a Latter-day Saint, you would be, you'd be thinking, As, am I going to destroy my eternal family by coming out? And I thought, if this, if this were a Larry Saint story, it would be a lot heavier and a lot sadder. And, and, she, and she said, so how are things in the Larry Saint LGBTQ world? And I said, they're bad. <laughs> like, it's really bad. And Heidi is a phenomenal friend and a great listener. And she asked me a lot of questions about it. a dozen times. I said, it is bad. It is so bad. And I'm really good at talking about my feelings, but I'm really bad at showing my feelings. And so as Heidi was like doing a really good job of listening, I was like on the verge of tears. And so I kept making jokes so I wouldn't cry. And Heidi said what can I do? Like, how can I help? And I just said, I don't know. And so for the listeners today, as, as we talk about this, you know, I don't, I really don't know what any of you should do, but I've gotten to this point in my life because the Holy Ghost has helped me know what to do. And I hope the Holy Ghost will help you know what to do as well. I feel like there's a problem. I feel like th this topic is so emotionally charged and it's triggering. And as I'm sharing my experiences, it like, I have to dig into trauma and things that I'm still working through. And it's, it's really like, it's exhausting sometimes. And I've noticed that as soon as you start sounding angry or emotional, people stop listening to you. And that's really disheartening to me because it's like, I feel like I have to share all of these feelings and just always be subject to, to talking about like heavy things that are, that make me angry and make me emotional, but I have to do it in a way that's palatable and that people can digest or else like everything I say gets washed away and nobody listens. And 
we had a conversation um, earlier, the three of us, actually, that's why we decided to have McKay on as our guest, because he mm-hmm. was just there, and we were having this conversation that, like, things are bad. I don't know if sometimes I sugarcoat things, but I, I like to take a hopeful perspective, because I like people to have hope. But I don't know, t- today, like, I- I'm sad, and I hope that if any of us sound angry or sad or too emotional, that you can see past it and, and realize what's there, and that these are conversations that have to be had. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you're talking about that movie that you watched, Ben, and how hard it is for just like in a regular life to come out and navigate that with your family and how it's compounded in the church. And what Charlie's saying is like, as you're coming out, you can't say everything that you want to say. And that's, I think, a really lonely experience to have questions in your heart and not have anyone to ask them of. That's one of the challenging parts is that you have questions that you just sometimes can't ask or if you asked no one would be able to give you an answer right and you know as i thought about this like like why do i sometimes censor myself why do i put on such rose-colored glasses when i talk about like my experiences as an lgbtq Latter-day saint a lot of it's because i know people love the church and i i do too like i love the church i'm active and faithful like i like i'm as active as you can be but i know that it's hard for people to know that this thing that they love that's so beautiful can also be really painful and so I don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings, but at the same time, like, like, like my heart is so often broken. And I think I, I put other people's feelings above my own uh, when I talk about this a lot. Well, and like I said, sometimes that's the only way people will listen to you at all. Mm-hmm. I was reading a book recently, came out through the Maxwell Institute. It's by Melissa Inouye. One of the chapters is she talks about how every member of the church has a piece of truth that they bring to the church, how we're all a, a member of the body of Christ. Sometimes it feels like the truth that I'm bringing to the church, I really have to fight to, to bring it, uh, maybe more than other people. McKay, what spiritual gifts do you feel you bring to the church? I feel like I, especially for being gay, I, I would say I'm maybe better at listening than other people and really trying to understand the people around me and what they're hoping for and striving for. And I think that's just a gift in itself because it helps people know that their voice matters. How about you, Charlie? I think I bring the gift of joy. I'm I'm happy. And and it's like a happiness that, I don't know, I think I'm really good at connecting with people. And, and I think that also stems in a certain way from my orientation because it's really influenced the way I interact with people. And especially the way I interact with, with women, the way I just connect with the females in my life, it just, it's so natural to me and it feels very bright and easy. Oh, Charlie, that's like one of my favorite things about coming out is now I can just walk up to a girl and tell her how beautiful she is. I know. It's so unacceptable <laughs> if I was straight, like she'd be so scared, but I don't know the energy is different when I tell girls that now. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, what about you? If I were to like label like the unique spiritual gift I feel like I was given, I think I was really given the gift of hope. Like it's really easy for me to hope in the future. And when things are bad, like in my life or in the world in general, I just have a lot of hope. It's just easy for me to, to know and trust and believe that things are going to be good and better in the future and that, that I can play a part in making things better. So I, I feel like I've got the gift of hope. And, and I, I think I think the only negative of that is sometimes my hope keeps me from feeling what I'm feeling now. Yeah. So I just want to share one story that kind of demonstrates how I tell stories differently to kind of make things comfortable. So I, I, I was in a new congregation, and my, my leader gave me the permission to come out as gay. I asked him if I could, and he said it was fine. And so everyone knew I was gay. Then I was given a, a calling of some importance. Later, I was talking to um, this leader, 
and he told me that afterwards, two people came up to him and said that they were really uncomfortable that a gay person had been an openly gay person had been called to that position, and that they weren't going to sustain me. And then in the few seconds between my my name being presented and then them deciding if they were going to sustain me, that the spirit worked on their heart and they felt like they could trust me and sustain me. And so the priesthood leader told me, told me the story. And so, you know, when I, when I tell a story, I could say, you know, I have this priesthood leader who, who had my back, who, who was standing up for me and and that's beautiful and how the Holy ghost helped these people, um, you know, see that I was okay and could be trusted. Like, like, I I think that's can be a beautiful story, but the other part of the story that I might not tell is then when I came to that congregation, I wondered, who are these people who didn't trust me? Those two people were the ones who were bold enough to go and talk about it and complain about it, who also felt uncomfortable and didn't say anything. And so experiences like that make me feel like, who doesn't trust me because I am gay? Who do I make feel uncomfortable because I am gay? Who thinks that I can't serve in the church because of my orientation? And that is a hard reality to walk into a chapel with. You know, one of my biggest hesitations or reservations with with coming out and writing my book was that I didn't want to give people false hope. I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that my support system is not like most people's support systems. And like my life experience has just somehow allowed me to be in this place where I can deal with a lot of that, with a lot of what Ben was saying. I feel so much happier now that I'm I'm out, I'm living more authentically, I feel like I'm not hiding all the time, and I'm closer to the closest people in my life. But at the same time, like, on like a cultural or like a social scale, people are uncomfortable when they're talking to you, and they don't want their kids to associate with you, or they discredit your testimony, and there's so many things, like, I I could literally just go on and on about all of, like, the microaggressions that happen, just because I go to church, just because I exist. And because I told people a little bit more about my experience, I, I don't know, like, even now I'm doing it, I don't want to, like, make it so heavy, but, but I knew all of this would happen, and I was like, I don't, like, how can I, like, give people hope and put them in this situation? Maybe they don't have that support system, right? Mm-hmm. And, and getting my book approved and, and going through the writing process was so difficult. And I speak at a lot of things, and I, like, I guess now I'm on Zoom a lot, but, like, I'll, I'm asked to do trainings, but I'm disinvited a lot of times. And Ben, I know you are too. There are so many times when people ask us to do something and speak and do a training, but then, oh, it turns out like we're actually uncomfortable with this and a lot of people were complaining, so we're just going to cut you. Yeah, that happens honestly about half the time I get invited. About half the time. And, 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 it's, and, and sometimes they'll compromise and be like, okay, we're going to have a meeting where Ben talks and the people who don't feel comfortable are going to have a different meeting they don't, so they don't have to hear Ben. And so that's happened like, multiple times to me. And it's not that I feel like, oh no, how dare you cut me? But like, how dare you cut us again? How dare you cut us again? And, and you know, people say, church leaders are like, there's a place for you in the church. I say, where is it? Because if me, who has all of the trappings of like having an easy place in the church with how I look and how I act in my family, if I'm still scraping to find a place in my church, like where's the place for anybody else? it's hard to know and feel that people are scared of us. Like people are scared of our reality and that sucks. And I hate being pitied. Mm -hmm. Like I, I hate when people pity me for who I am. And I also hate when people put me on a pedestal for who I am. Like, like, I just feel like I can't win. Yeah. And and they don't ask you questions about your actual experiences. They just make assumptions and then try to give you advice based on things they don't know. And they don't know anything about you and just try to like superimpose other people's experiences all the time. It's, it's very 
very hard to be a gay member of the church. Yeah, as as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about how I, I wonder if you went up to the individuals in your ward or if I went up to those people that have done things like that to me, if I asked them point blank if they were scared of me, I think almost every time they would say no. But from where I'm standing, it doesn't feel that way. Like, I, I don't know how to say it otherwise. I don't, I don't want to make a blanket statement and say that all church members are scared of me, I think. But everyone has a story of multiple stories of instances that that's happened. And so to say that it's a few bad individuals in the church is maybe in some ways true, but maybe it's more complicated than that. Yeah, I feel that. I, I think that's a very good point, McKay. Like people don't think that they're afraid of us. You know, I was attending a ward once and one of the leaders told me not to mention being gay ever. And so I didn't. That was a really tough place to be. It, it really was. It was a tough place to be. And, you know, why did he make that request of me? It was tough. It was really tough to know that I couldn't talk about something that was so important to me. Yeah, or, or something that affects so many aspects of your life. Or something that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Ben, like, I, I noticed something you said, and, and you did. You, you conformed, and, and you, like, went along with his wish, right? You know, I hear this comment a lot from, from really well-meaning people, and in a way it is a compliment, I guess, but they're like, you're so strong, I could never do this. I, I don't really like to hear that, because shouldn't everybody be able to do it? Like, if we're not in an environment that is conducive to spiritual success, then that means there's something wrong with the environment that we're in. If if other people are like, oh, I could never do that. And, but people just disregard that and they say, oh, you're so strong, meaning it as a compliment. But really what it does is just say... <sighs> it's like, if you if you couldn't do this, why are you expecting me to? Right, right. I don't know. And, and people are like, there's a place for gay people in the church. But then they make a comment like that, like, I couldn't do this, which insinuates that, that there's really not a place. Mm-hmm. McKay, you were saying that's really complex. There's a lot of factors into this. And I feel like there's cultural factors, there's like leadership factors, and then there's policy factors and doctrinal factors too that, that make it much more difficult to find your place. I've really, really tried to do a good job at separating church from gospel. Like if you're wondering if there's a place for you with God, like like I promise you there is. I, I bear like a solemn, strong, powerful testimony that if you pray and you ask God if he loves you, and if there's a place for you in his kingdom, he will respond with a resounding yes. And you will have absolutely no doubt that you are loved, and you are special, and you are whole, and you are needed, and you are unique. It's not a question of, do I fit? Where do I fit? It is a question of of fit. You are there. You are congruent. You are a child of divinity, and, and there is nothing wrong or defective about you, and you have every opportunity to succeed within the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that so, so strongly. And it just makes me so mad that the church that's supposed to carry that gospel has created an environment that's killing us. An environment where 17-year-old me is crying himself to sleep every night and wishing he were dead. And, like... You guys, this is not okay. Like, we we have to do something about this because LGBTQ people are not feeling that power, that divinity, that closeness with God. 
And it's because of the church. It's because of the membership. And it's because of the policies. And it's because of the way that, that we're scared and we push people away and we don't listen to people and we're uncomfortable. So we prioritize the people who make us most comfortable and we're not willing to look within ourselves and say, how can I help? Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I'm passionate about this. McKay, I'm kind of going to put you on the spot as I'm calming down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, you said something last night that really resonated with me about the castle. Mm. Yeah, what I said was, it feels like people in the church are building me a castle to live in, but they didn't build the doors. When I imagine a castle, I imagine it to be grand and beautiful and so big, and I would feel important when I live there. But I still am wondering... How, how do you how actually do make in? that work? Yeah. How do you how do you walk in the doors? How do you go from room to room? How do you go from room to room? Everyone has my life planned out for me. I feel like God has a plan for each of us, and nobody is listening to the revelation that I found for myself. Or just so many of the LGBTQ people I know are some of the closest, most scripture reading checking all the boxes, people that I know. And to say that they aren't close to God seems silly. It's frustrating to have people constantly doubting my own experience and telling me that I'm not reading the scriptures enough, or that when I bear my testimony that shouldn't believe it for some reason. Yeah, that sucks, McKay. When, when I'm feeling like sadness and pain and like feeling like I don't belong, I often try and push that away. And it, 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 then it comes up in, in really odd ways. Not odd ways, but just like un, at unexpected times. So you know, we had Carl Hole on like episode 10, 11, or 12 or something. And uh, his family invited me over for, to, to, to watch conference. And I went there and I was there for the whole day. And it was just really lovely and really fun. And I, I thanked them so much for having me over as I was leaving. And, and I don't know quite why Carl felt the need to say this. And he said, he, as, as I was leaving, he said, he said, Ben, we don't invite you over because we feel sorry for you. We invite you over because we love you and we love having you in our family. I walked to my car and I started crying just to like have that affirmation that like they loved me and cared about me and I was part of their family. And then a couple days later, I was um, like, I have dinner with the Wrights almost every Sunday in Orem, and I've been doing that for years and years. And and one day I just like left and just started crying. I was like so glad that they that they care about me enough to invite me over. Of course, like those are really like beautiful, meaningful relationships to me. But I, I have that emotional response because I realize that I feel like the default is that I'm not going to be welcomed in. And, you know, that's because that's that's how people have, have acted. In, in the ward I'm in right now, my bishop asked me over a year ago to, to give a lesson on ministering to LGBTQ Larry Saints. And, and I did, and I, I think it went well, and it was wonderful. And then afterwards, one of the bishopric members came up, and, and he's got little kids. And, and he said, Ben, I am so glad that my kids get to grow up in a ward that you are in. And, like, that's awesome. And, and, and people like the Holes and the Wrights and, and this bishopric member, they make me feel like I belong and like I do have a place. And so, like, to me, like, the church and Zion is, like, this really beautiful, wonderful place where I, where I fit in and, and, and feel like, like I belong as I am. But there's also these toxic experiences that just make it hard. Also, like, like I'm a receptacle for a lot of people's pain. Like, a lot of people talk to me and, 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 share, <laughs> and, and, and share what's going on. And just a couple of days ago, one of my friends at BYU-Idaho was talking to me, and, 
And he was saying that, you know, he wants to come out, but he feels like if he does, that people won't like him, that his relationships will be different. And, and, and that could happen. Like, that really could happen. Like, his friendships could be different. And he wasn't sure that he could stay in the church. And he was saying that he thinks when he leaves BYU-Idaho, he probably won't stay in the church. And he's like, like you said, McKay, like, he's one of, like, the best people. Like, so good and so faithful. And, and, and I said, if the church can't keep someone like you, then we are failing. Because you are the very best that the restoration has. And it just makes me so sad to just see like person after person after person after person feel like they can't go to church even though they want to. Yeah, I mean, the attrition rate is astronomical. Like, gay people do not stay in the church. I don't want to overgeneralize, but the men, the membership seems to say, oh, gay people are bad, they're leaving the church. When really, like, no one looks to see why. No one looks at, at the factors, and and you're seeing, uh, like we talked about in the stages of coming out episode, you are seeing the breaking point when people just literally can't do it anymore, and and there are twelve, sometimes twenty, sometimes sixty years behind that of pain and thwarted belonging and really, really tough stuff that that isn't conducive to to emotional health, and then you wonder why people leave, and it's because you're kicking them out. I, I learned something early on right after I came out about how loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking. Like if you're lonely for a significant portion of your life, your life will be, you know, 10 years shorter. That was really challenging to try to understand. I was wondering if I was like a literal martyr for the, for this church, if I chose to stay in when you're confronted with something like that and you really do start to wonder, you want to make sure that you're attached to the right thing and that you're supporting the right cause. One of the first things I learned, Charlie, you mentioned how the gospel is different from the church, and that distinction became a lot more clear. Like I I became more, even more sure that I believed in the gospel. I learned a lot about like church history and how leadership is structured and things like that that are on the organization side of the church that just like improved my perspectives, I think, and made me understand that the church is God's church, but there's a layer between God and like the things that the church does. And sometimes things don't go quite right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, this, this kid from BYU, Idaho, the main question he asked was, you know, how can I be in a church that is so focused on marriage and family if I'm not going to get married? And like, that is such a legit question that I feel like structurally as a church, we're not trying to answer. Exactly. And, and like, I've heard church leaders say, and even publish things that say like same sex dating is bad because it doesn't lead to eternal marriage. So you should just be single. And I'm like, okay, does me being single lead to eternal marriage? It's so exhausting that like, there's this issue and people like prescribe solutions to it without even really thinking about what it means. And then the solution like literally doesn't even answer the issue at all. Like their solution is the same as their problem. And, and if you, if you unpack that a little bit more, if, if same sex dating is bad because it doesn't lead to eternal marriage, then we should be trying to get eternally married, which means that they want us to marry opposite sex partners as soon as possible. Exactly. Which people say that the church isn't like pushing mixed orientation marriages, but, but it is, but that is, that's just a roundabout way of pushing mixed orientation marriage. Well, they're, pick, they're pushing mixed orientation marriages until we're fixed and we're not gay anymore. When we die, mm-hmm. which, which like reinforces this suicide. It reinforces suicide because we're telling kids you're better off dead. 
And like that is the message that's being internalized currently in the church. I, I want people to think critically about this. Like I really would love if people could take a step back and, and put themselves like like Ben's book, take a walk in his shoes and think critically and dynamically and, and broadly about what this means and what the message is and the prescriptions that we're giving people are actually doing. I've been thinking a lot about intentions versus impact lately. And I feel like we prioritize intentions, but we need to be prioritizing impact. Like the impact that's being had by people's good intentions is horrible. It's so bad. And and like, I I just wish that people would listen and care. I just really wish people would listen and care. Mm -hmm. Me too. I almost cried in my office today because I, there are people who are like trying to fit in and struggling to fit in. And it doesn't feel like as a church, we're make, trying to make a place for them. And uh, one of the stories I love is the story of, of the Jaredites. And um, I don't know why Jared asked his brother to pray and didn't just pray himself. But you know, the, they're at the Tower of Babel, and Jared asks his brother to, to pray to God so that their language won't be confounded. So he says this prayer, and then it's granted. And then Jared says, great, that worked. Why don't you go ask God if he will not confound the language of our friends and family too? And so the brother Jared goes and prays, and that's granted to them. And great. And then Jared says to his brother, he says, why don't you go and pray to God and ask him if he's going to lead us out of this land? And if he's going to lead us out of this land, maybe he'll lead us to the best land. So the brother of Jared prays and, and asks him to be led to a promised land. And then God says, I'm going to lead you to a promised land. I'm going to take you to a land that no one has been to before. And as I think about what I feel called to do and what, and what, what we're trying to do is, is create a world that people haven't been in before. And like we stand on the shoulders of giants, like all these people who have done so many good things for the for LGBTQ saints, like long before I ever started, who who made it possible for me to do this. And you know, and we were trying to create a world that hasn't existed before, where you can be openly gay and you can participate in church and be welcomed and loved. I feel like in a lot of ways, like like I'm in that world, like I'm I'm in a world where I'm like loved and cared about. But then, like these these difficult things happen, and then I hear about incredibly difficult things happen to, to people that I care about. And I just realize, like, we're not there yet. Like, like, we haven't gotten to the promised land yet, and God is calling us to be there. I feel like we, as as children of God and as covenant members of the church, we can expect the very best. Like, we can we can expect God to give us the very best, and that He will lead us to the place that we need to be. And I think what I think what's keeping us in so many ways is is fear. Like, like, like fear of, of people who are different. Once we can get over that, we can, we can go to a promised land. You know, in, in chapters two and three, the brother Jared, you know, he's, he's got this problem and he, he creates these 16 small stones and then asks, asks God to sanctify them so that they can give light. And, you know, I, I think about all the work that, that people do to try and make the church good and better and, 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 to, and to build Zion. And in the end, like, we can, like what we do, it's just empty stones. But when, when God reaches out with his finger and, and touches our works, like that's when they become sanctified. And, and I felt that happen. Like as I was writing my book, like they were just words and I felt them sanctified by God. And, you know, as I've like re-listened to episodes of this podcast, I just like, I feel like some of them are just, just holy and sacred and like, they're just our words, but then God sanctifies them. How does that, how does that happen? What, how does God tell you that he sanctified your words? I just like feel this this confirmation from the Holy Ghost, and those are feelings that are that are that are hard to explain. But I just feel like this is this is a good thing that we did, and God is pleased with it. And I'm not trying to like pat us on the back, right? Well, I have a couple examples, McKay, if if I can share, Ben. Yeah. Um, 
for starters, there, there was one chapter of my book that I was asked to write and I did not want to write it. I did not know how to write it. I felt very conflicted about it. And in my feelings on the matter weren't even really solidified. And I just thought I, I can't do this. And, and it was kind of like, this needs to be in or, or maybe the book won't go through. And I was like, um, I don't know what to do. And I was in Salt Lake and I was dressed nice because I had just been in meetings and I walked across the street and I went through the temple and I did a temple session and, um, going to the temple is really hard for me. I don't usually like to do it. Um, it's, I feel awkward when I'm there, but this time I was like, God, I, I need an answer. I, I need something from this. And it was my favorite temple session ever because I, I was, I was in like this different space. I was almost like in a dreamlike state and sometimes I hesitate to share spiritual experiences on a podcast cause that's weird, but I mean, it's a gospel related podcast, but, but I had a vision of this chapter. I had a vision of it. I don't know how else to say it than that. Like the actual, like literally the words came to me and, um, I walked outside and I had my computer with me and I opened it and I wrote the chapter in 10 minutes. I just wrote everything out and it was done. And I didn't even really have to go back and edit it. It was just done. A couple months down the road, I was recording my audiobook. And and these stories aren't to be like, Charlie's book's the best. <laughs> but like that this is just what I feel of Ben saying that I feel like God has somehow sanctified whatever my meager offering is. Um I was reading the audiobook and I was like, I, I didn't write this. Like like it was my words and it was my sentence structure, but but what it conveyed was was not from me at all. Yeah, I definitely felt that too. And there have been a couple times when we've like recorded podcasts and like I remember the very first time, like the very first three episodes we recorded, uh, we recorded them at the BYU Broadcasting Studio, which is just across the street. And we were just like skipping across the parking lot. <laughs> we were lot. on one. <laughs> we're, we're, we're like, this is the best. Like this is what we were meant to do. And it just like felt like we were doing the right thing. Yeah. And it wasn't an easy thing to do. And, you know, here we're talking about like us being the heroes. And, but like, I have felt people like do things that like for me that have been, that, that been like sanctified and touched by God as well. Absolutely. And yeah, like I remember when I, well, I don't want to say what was said, but like after I was ordained to be a high priest, um, one of the sick presidency members like sent me an email, just like this beautiful email, just like telling me what he had felt in that moment. And like, that was just like such a gift and just like, yeah. And so many people have given me so many gifts that have just been so wonderful and kind. And like, I, I could just list person after person after person who, whose works have been sanctified for my good. But I mean, there's been times when I've been like literally on the edge, like I, I have to leave, I have to get out of here and someone will drop in and, and just say something that's so profound and so moving. And in this church where there's not a place for me, they carve out a space for me to sit in for a little bit. They, they, they squeeze over and let me be next to them for a while with the hope that someday I'll have my own seat at the table. Right. And, and I have so many people who, who've done that for me. And, and really that's the only reason that, that I can sit anywhere, you know? And, and Ben, you were talking about this, this promised land, this new world that's never been seen before. I believe in that world. And I've seen so many incredible, beautiful glimpses of that world. And it's, it's so weird. It's like almost like this weird, like cash 22, because we're telling essentially in this, in this episode, we're telling the LGBTQ youth that there's not a place for them in the church. And then we're like, but there is like the, it's there. And, and sometimes I, I mean, you say this a lot, Ben, you just want everyone to come out. Like I want people to come out. 
I, I want allies to scoot over and, and give people space. And I want people to sit in those spaces. We need strong, valiant LGBTQ members of the church to speak up and stand up and show out and, and be part of wards and congregations and stakes. And I, I, I see so much opportunity for growth and change and beauty. I love going to church when I feel like I can make a contribution. And I think anyone who is gay has a contribution to make right now. Like you can, can go to church and your experience is so relevant and so important. Matthew Wickman gave a devotional at BYU and he gave this really beautiful story about the laborers in the vineyard, like that parable and how it doesn't matter how long we work. It just matters that we do the work. I missed church zero times in my twenties. Like I went every single Sunday and if, and if someone hasn't been and they want to contribute, like, of course you can. Like, of course you can contribute. It doesn't matter how long you've been away. Like, like we're going to get the same. God gives us a lot of opportunities to build Zion. And, and, and what, I, what I tell these youth, you know, these hypothetical youth who wonder if they have a place in the church, <laughs> um, you know, if, who wonder if they belong. You know, I, I really do feel like I belong. I do feel like there's a place for me in the church because the people that care about me have made, have made that so. And then the people who don't care about me or don't know me um, have made it hard. And I just think if they knew me, if they took the time to get to know me, they would they would love me and I would love them. And and we would make space for each other. And and these and these youth who are wondering if they have a place, I, I always tell them, you know, if you want to come to church, there's always room for you on the pew next to me. Like you can always come sit with me. Yeah. And there will be space with me. A lot of times people start to care when it hits home, when they have a close family member or friend come out. And and that's so wonderful, and I love that. But in a sense, by that time, it's a little bit too late, you know. And and I would love to see proactive church members who don't wait until their son comes out as as gay to start educating themselves about about how to react and about how to treat people. Like like do it now and share it with your friends now. And if we could just make like even just like basic cultural changes, the the effect that it could have and the impact is so great. I guess the last thing I just want to say is I love the church. Like I love the restored gospel. Like I love reading the scriptures at home and I love praying and I love ministering to people and I love attending church and I love singing the hymns and I love going to the temple. Like I, like I love all of that. And I really do like, it is so good for me. And yet at the same time, things are still so bad. You know, I don't know what anyone else should do, but, you know, for the listener, I just want to ask you, you know, what have you felt prompted to do? Whatever you feel prompted to do, do that thing. Please do it. Yeah. I'm going to break the fourth wall a little bit here and just like, I'm so grateful to people who listen to this podcast and to people who share it. I do most of the editing and I keep... I'm slightly obsessed with looking up the statistics of each episode. Most of the you do all the editing. I do all the editing. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to throw you a bone here, but 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 I look at like the, the numbers and I can see when people share it and how many hits each episode gets and and I'm just so grateful to people who listen and I don't know I, I feel like oddly somber yet hopeful yet grateful and like an outpouring of love and sadness at the same time right now and. Um, and most of the hope and, and graciousness is coming from from people who are willing to listen. And it's really an incredible thing to step out of your comfort zone and try to learn about someone else. Yeah, I, th- I think love and sadness is, I think that describes a lot of my experience. 
Can I share one more story that I'm not sure will fit in? Yeah, of course. Yeah, back in March, there was this, I had this incredibly tough day at work. It was just like overwhelming <laughs> and I was exhausted. <laughs> I wonder what day that was. <laughs> it was It was a very hard day. And I, and I was at work way after, I was like way after five and I was just exhausted. And when I got home, I messaged one of my friends. I was like, I just got to go to the temple. Like I just need to go to the temple. I was worn out, just exhausted. Just, I didn't have anything else to give. While I was in the temple, I just like, it was like my shoulders squared and my energy was renewed. And I just like walked out just knowing that I could face the world. I just like felt rejuvenated there. And then I came back to my house and, and one, of the, one of my friends like, like played the piano and we were singing songs. We had like this really fun, beautiful night. And I thought, why am I having such a good night tonight? And, it, and I felt the spirit say, because you need to be strong for everyone else tomorrow. And I feel like I need to be strong for so many other people. And I'm, I'm happy to do that. And, and God gives me the strength. But I don't need to do 10 things. 10 people need to do one thing. Yeah, because sometimes it's just exhausting. Yeah. And, and Ben, like, I'm going to be strong with you. And McKay is too. And my sisters are going to be strong with us. And your parents, Ben, and our friends and our roommates, like there are people, there is strength here and there's strength in numbers. And I think right now we just need more numbers. We need help. That was a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Well, this may <laughs> arguably be our most weird podcast. <laughs> we, we promise the next one will be more lighthearted and have more jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it. But, uh, but again, thank you for listening. And um, McKay, thanks thanks for agreeing to do this. And it stemmed from a conversation. And I, I don't know, I, I feel love and sadness right now, but I also feel empowered. And, and I'm, I'm excited for the future. And I'm excited for you, McKay, because you're the best of us. I, I think the world of you. Yeah. So Thanks. Thanks right. for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We are not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do. You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time.